0: On weeknights from 6.
1: On 2FM. Thanks for to you, Johnny. It's Monday, November 27th, and you're listening to Game On. Coming up today, Katie's greatness shines through again. For
2: your winner by majority decision, and the new and mysterious Super
3: Tracy Taylor and for Irish boxing a two-weight world champion and that she is in Rugby Keen Tracy looks back on Leinster's win over Munster and the rest of the URC action while in the Premier League we have Stephen Kelly and Paul Curry on a genuine title race on that bicycle kick if you want to get in touch you can text us on 515522 or it's not tweet x marie true. not really it's sure it's how okay. that goes exus really at done. game on 2FM <laughs>
1: 2 Now welcome along everybody Happy Monday It's always a happy Monday when we've had a good weekend of live sport And there was lots of it Paul Corey and Keen Tracy are with myself and Ruby for the duration of the programme We often start Mondays with our sporting highlights If we've had a good weekend Paul, anything to stick out?
4: Well there's a couple of obvious ones isn't there? Yes. <laughs> uh, I'm sure you can probably get into that with your experience of the, of the fight but I'll go probably a little further afield with Alex Murphy's debut for Newcastle young 19 year old we know how difficult it is to make it in the Premier League and particularly with one of the let's say so called top six or seven clubs for him to come on against Chelsea just shows the fate that Eddie Howe has in his ability and also shows the path that is there for youngsters playing with the League of Ireland going over maybe a little later age but I just thought it was fantastic to see him involved
1: Absolutely Mm -hmm. amazing really wasn't it when you think that he's kind of came out of nowhere because often you'd you'd hear of people playing or captaining the yeah. underage sides well yeah. he was he was
4: very involved in pre-season and that was obviously a testament mm-hmm. of how well he has progressed since he's gone in there the injury to Dan Byrne has freed up a bit of an opportunity from, from maybe to get some minutes at that left back position they've played Liveramento uh, on the opposite side or Trippier at different times I know the game was, was dead and buried, but the fact that he brought him on shows how close he actually is to that first team. Yeah. And I think for any Irish youngster to break into a side like that just shows, you know, massive, massive potential. We're looking at players coming through and he's definitely won. He most certainly is. Keen Tracy, had you a highlight?
0: Yeah, I'm going to go away from the obvious of Leinster Munster, which was a really good occasion. But for me, a moment and a highlight, um, Alejandro Garnaccio's goal was... Um, special to say the least Mm -hmm. i was thinking about this um because i had a feeling you would ask me ruby what my highlight was it's genuinely one of the best goals i've ever seen and i'm like i'm trying not to use like recency bias but i think back to the great goals over the years Mm -hmm. and i certainly think that was up there just so unique and like picture perfect i mean everyone's seen the goal at this stage but the pictures of doing the rounds like the technique was just absolutely unbelievable just so so good so yeah that was my highlight of the weekend
3: it most certainly was. Marie yourself. Obviously you were in the three-year-in at the weekend, so you were going to tell us <laughs> it was the atmosphere and just being in there on such a special occasion.
1: Yeah, well, that's what I do. I, I go to Katie Taylor fights and it was another great one. But this one was um extra special because I I think maybe because she was the underdog and it's such a rare thing for her to be that. But the build up, it was low key. I didn't know what my expectations were going to be because everybody was writing her off and there was a lot of doubt about how she was going to perform, but to see her just pull that display out of... Now, obviously, there's loads to back it up, but compared to the last time, um, it felt like out of nowhere. She She just came out fighting, basically, and for the whole lot of it, she just went and went and it was a phenomenal display and afterwards, you could just see what it meant to her like it was she wasn't going to lose it she was so determined she was so resilient it was all of the things that have made her what she is came out and you just got to see greatness like just it it just exuded from her she just gave everything i know i sound like such a fangirl saying that well we know you are though well look i just think and and i've said it a million times um what she's done for women's sport it's it's just been amazing. When you look at the progress that's been made over the last 10, 15 years, she's been the one pushing it up the hill. She's been the one breaking the glass ceilings, doing what people said she couldn't do. Like So she symbolizes everything that has happened and that has been good and great about women's sport and sport in Ireland as well like I can not I'm not going to say it's just women's sport because she's done brilliant things she's brought back some boxing back to Ireland again which is great but um I was just delighted for her I don't know her personally or anything but I was just delighted because um because she achieved something that she really really wanted to and it was great for her and great to see it and great for her mom as well.
3: Well super I realised how little I knew about boxing because I thought she was well behind <laughs> tell you the truth <laughs>
1: yeah i'm not i'm not an expert either even though i do go to all her fights and i'm like turning to the people beside me going like who's winning like is she winning how's she doing because i never know like i haven't a clue and um it's really hard to tell because fights like that they're often so tight because they're such well-matched opponents that it's it's hard it's hard to know and when you're surrounded by her fans which you know like in ireland you, you most definitely are then um it's even harder to tell, so I, I wasn't sure, but I actually texted um, my husband at home and said, what are they saying on the telly, you know? So, <laughs> that's what I was wondering about. <laughs> what was yours, Ruby? Uh
3: Mine my, my was the John Dorkin chase yesterday in Pontestown. I thought it was brilliant. Um Really good field, and when they rounded off the home turn, you would fast or slow, gallop in the champ, appreciated Blue Lord, you had the right horses going hammering tongs to the second last, and Whilst my allegiance to William Mullins camp would love to have seen appreciated a gallop in the champ come out on top. I saw we thought we saw a really good horse and fast slow, but I saw thought we saw a brilliant race. It was a really good race to watch, Marie. So um that was my highlight and we'll have more on the race and tomorrow afternoon or evening evening as it is now, but I think we'll have to stick with the boxing, Marie, aren't we? Yeah,
1: I think so. I think it kind of like it she stole the show basically from the weekend everything that that happened um, it was all people were talking about the next day at matches, like wherever I was people were talking about it I don't think people were talking about it a huge amount beforehand because there was a lot of other stuff going on and she kept it so low key but she certainly stole all the headlines on on Sunday and has since as well and probably will be for a while as people will wonder where is she going to fight next
3: that is the big thing
1: yeah, well, look, we're joined now by Kevin Byrne, boxing correspondent with The Irish Sun, and maybe he'll be able to tell us. How are you, Kevin?
5: Pretty good, yeah. Just coming down from the events of the weekend, it was, uh, it was frenetic for everybody involved. Uh, I know uh, the heart rate was up, uh, for uh, certainly at ringside, so to imagine what those two fighters... Put themselves through over ten rounds in the main event. It was uh, an incredible fight. Really, uh, kind of privileged to be there to see it. Really in Dublin.
1: Yeah, and I, I think like that's a key point as well. Like it, it was an incredible fight. Like I'm, you know, like Ruby, when either of us are, are boxing experts, but um, it, it felt like it was one of those classics. Was that was that the same for you, Kevin?
5: Uh, I think there was a, there was an immediate sense that we were witnessing witnessing something quite historic. I, I felt. Um, all the rigmarole about it, the long walk ups last time for the last fight and mm. that fight did struggle to get going back in May and it wasn't a classic it was a pretty engrossing fight wasn't a classic though and uh, both fighters took I think about 80 seconds for their ring walks this time and then the minute David Diamante put them together in the center of the ring and uh, the referee stood between them they came out all guns blazing from from the get go and um, you know both had both had some early success i kind of had a, a Level. I probably had Katie pulling ahead at, at the halfway, maybe by a round or so. But yeah, just the just the depths Taylor was willing to go to to win. I thought was quite quite striking. She um, she obviously had that underdog spirit. Uh, you're looking for edges. How how could she win? How could she improve on uh, on her last performance? And I ha- you have to imagine for such a fierce competitor losing her undefeated record trying to now think of herself as a as a boxer who's lost a fight who isn't you know doesn't have a perfect record it must have stung so much it must have really motivated her even more in training camp because she was so desperate to win she was just so so willing to go to the wall always trying to have the final say in uh, in the exchanges and willing to take punches to land them as well it was it was a yeah it was a brilliant fight i thought
3: I loved her interview afterwards in the press conference the motivation she got from all the doubters and she was looking around the room and I could nearly see the journalist she was looking at and I was laughing thinking <laughs> oh, I, I might have done that myself in the past and it is incredible the motivation she got from the doubters it was brilliant to see her prove people wrong massively
5: yeah and like uh, you know prop, proper Irish style as well you know like a GAA match you know we, even, even if Limerick next year win the, the five in a row they'll be saying this is for the doubters you know who said it couldn't be done like um, but there, there certainly were uh, plenty of doubt in Kate Taylor for this one. Will it happen again? I'm not sure. Like I mean, the last fight, Taylor said she wasn't herself, mm. but she won't explain why. So I guess she said she said, "Come up this fight, you're going to see the real me, uh, and you know, and don't don't have any doubts about me." But I guess when you're trying to analyse who's going to win a fight between a champion who's already beaten Taylor and Taylor, who's kind of five years her senior. Smaller, like slightly smaller size. You know, she she was in again. She was up against it. She did have home advantage. She did have, you know, the burning desire to get get her revenge as well. But she 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 could she looked out at the media, and probably most of them who'd written previews and most of them who'd given their opinions on the fight would have been, you know, going to the head. You would have been picking Cameron. I think most people did. So uh, yeah, I think Taylor really enjoyed enjoyed that aspect of it. And I think her and her coach maybe use it as a source of uh, motivation too. Like her coach. Uh, her coach Ross Enemy was wearing a T-shirt in the press conference afterwards with a uh, Roger Mayweather, like the Black Mamba, and uh, I won't swear on on, uh, on the radio, but it said most people don't know he his most people don't know s about boxing, you know. <laughs> so I think there was a, there was a definitely a sense of staring the staring the room down, looking looking straight at the media and saying, "You got this one wrong, lads," and uh, you know we got to punch perfect, really.
1: Yeah, he changed into that t-shirt as well, so he was definitely making huh, yeah. making a point. Tell us a little bit about him because, you know, we talk about Katie being understated and avoiding the spotlight. We don't ever hear from him really at all.
5: He's quite a convincing guy to talk to. He's a he's almost evangelical in, you know, his belief that uh he knows how to he knows how to deliver victory. And like, I mean, his CV now just with Katie Taylor alone is one of the most glittering in world boxing. You're looking at a a guy who's trained uh a fighter from her professional debut right up to becoming an undisputed world champion at two two separate weights. So he's got one of the best CVs around. Wasn't widely known certainly in Europe prior to Katie Taylor signing with him. He's published a few books. His social media posts show quite an esoteric figure. You know, with, with I think he's got a, a background in strength and conditioning. His own fighting career was cut short through injury. Taylor and him have a have a brilliant relationship, mainly based on kind of hard work, belief, and I think he's he's good at getting into Kate Taylor's head I think at the start when Taylor turned professional I found it noticeable that he was willing to kind of make comparisons to uh, you know the great kind of hit and don't get hit merchants so maybe the, the likes of uh, Vasily Lomachenko that's what we're like looking to become the female version of like get in get out land your shots but now when he talks about Katie Taylor I wrote about this today like he he mentions the likes of James Toney and Bernard Hopkins these are like master, manipu- master manipulators of the fight the fight ring and um, Brilliant at fighting inside. Brilliant at taking any edge they can. Like and when they became veterans in their career, they they they're really wily, really canny. And I think maybe that's the kind of thing that Taylor was willing to do as well. She's she's got criticism for excessive holding. You know, happy enough with uh, if there was going to be headbutts thrown, she wasn't going to come off second best. And on Saturday night, she was determined to uh, you know to rough Cameron up, and she was willing to do anything a wily veteran could do. So I think Emma or Rossina May got in her head and came up with a great game plan he's come under a bit of criticism back here in Ireland in boxing circles you know Ireland is full of great boxing coaches and a lot of them would probably like a crack at guiding Katie Taylor but she's gone for an American most of them don't know and he's come in for he's come in for a bit of criticism I suppose particularly after her last fight with Cameron which led to a defeat kind of then there was a bit of oh leave that strength and conditioning trainer behind but I think he was quite satisfied with um, with uh, getting his own back as well and like he he is, seems to be the uh, the architect of Taylor's uh, fight week decision to do far less media. Ross was guiding them and saying, "No, Taylor got too stuck in, you know, talking to the wrong people last time. Speaking to the media, she she snubbed a kind of a media roundtable on uh, Thursday at the press room. So I say snubbed. She just opted she opted against it. And I think she felt she went along with far too many things before the first uh, for the first fight, and she snubbed a lot of it this time. And you know, look, her decision was I suppose indicated on Saturday night when it was no nonsense display.
3: It was, especially when you think boxing relies so much on promotion and promotion ultimately brings the, the money to it. So it was a big decision from her to do that. But you're describing her there, Kevin, I, I think as a fighter. Yeah, When she was asked about three-minute rounds or 12, three-minute rounds, she said it suits the boxer. She still sees herself as a boxer, even though you're describing her more as a fighter, are eh? you?
5: I think, I think she's just rounded and complete at this stage. She can she can help, like in her previous rematch with uh, Delphine I presume. She completely outboxed her. She, you know, she stayed on the back foot, caught Pursue coming in, made her look foolish, and then worked her way around the ring. Against Cameron, she was still like the boxer of the two as well. Like she's the one who was moving in circles around the ring. She was the one who was on the retreat mostly, and then looking to catch Cameron as she came in with her attacks, and then looking to have the final say as you know after Cameron might have landed her. So she was still the boxer in this contest. But I think she's showing, and she's always showed her her career. I think like we saw it against Amanda Serrano more than most. She's willing to dig down. She's willing to do anything it takes, and. And really, really scrapped to get a decision or to get a win, you know. So she's—I think she's a bit of both. I think she's a complete fighter at this stage.
1: So what's next for her now with this trilogy? Where is it going to go? Are we going to have um, months of debate about whether she should go to Crow Park or not, or whether or not Crow Park would host it? What's going to happen next, Kevin?
5: I know. I was a bit—I was a bit dismayed. Like almost, that talk immediately turned to Crow Park um, in the aftermath of her win. Like almost wanted her to. to you know just glory and the victory that she's just taken, because it was such a such a remarkable achievement to become an undisputed two-way world champion only the greats have done that like uh, there is a, f- a female boxer obviously Clarissa De Shields has already achieved that but in the men's ranks you're looking at only the, the greatest names the Benny Lennards Henry Armstrongs Sugar Ray Robinson Evander Holyfield like uh, Terence Crawford Alexander Usyk is looking to do it against Tyson Fury next year so only the, the greatest of the great have become 2 weight undisputed world champions she, she's, I'm sure she's basking in the glory of her victory right now. But yeah, talk is definitely going to turn to the uh, this, the trilogy she's looking at, which with Cameron or a second run around with uh, Amanda Serrano. Both of them will be Crow Park fights, I think. There's been discussion today about why not go to the Adidas Stadium. I think I think Taylor just has her heart set on Crow Park. Ireland's most famous stadium, you know, like that would be a great uh, career moment for her. Uh, Muhammad Ali fought there, didn't he? You know, back 51 years ago. So you're looking at you're looking at taking one of the greatest boxes, I think, in sport.
3: Uh, again, I'm going to show my ignorance to boxing here, but I'm just thinking of a boxing ring in the middle of Crow Park.
5: Is it the right venue? Well, uh, for the fighters, a boxing ring is a boxing ring. It doesn't really matter, you know, and I think um, there was a tremendous atmosphere at the free uh, arena the other night. Like, it's almost the way it's structured. The, the fans are high. They're close to the ring. There's not a bad seat in the house, so the, there's that's noise the, generated. That's what like I'm yeah, <laughs> you're in the, the top left corner of
3: the hill, like you're going to be a long way from a ring.
5: Yeah, but the cheapest ticket the other night, Ruby, was you know, was still I don't know, well over 100 quid anyway for the cheapest tickets. Um, and most tickets with a good, with a good, you know, even a bit lower down, you're in the 200s, 300s, ringside for 500s and a thousand and stuff like that. So it's a very expensive night to be going. And if, if you're a family, and I can think of the amount of parents across Ireland who have a a son or a daughter or whatever you know, maybe 10, 12, 13 years old and they love Katie Taylor absolutely adore her how much is it going to cost to bring the family to a Katie Taylor fight at three arena it's probably beyond most people's reach I think the talk is that if, if you were to have it at Crow Park you'd be looking at far more competitive prices of the tickets so you could bring your family a four for, for an affordable price and that's the way they bank us, uh having to fight at Crow Park but then again there's a different um, it's a different uh, event if you hold it at Crow Park and try and attract families you're going to have to have it much earlier the fight the other night began just before 11 o'clock I think or you know maybe quarter to 11 so you can't really do that at Crow Park fight at that time with, with families there really maybe have to be on a little bit earlier but um, I can see I can see happy, you know boxing takes place in Dallas Cowboy Stadium Wembley Stadium some you know great massive venues across the world so Crow Park would be, probably be no different than I'd say it would look great uh, to, have fight and to have a boxing match there
3: What happens if it rains?
5: <laughs> the ring is covered and um, so the ring has a rain. kind of, yeah, the ring has a rain cover. So it can rain. And there's been some nights where you see, uh, I'm trying to think. I think it was maybe Derek Chazora versus, um, David Hay at Upton Park and the heavens opened. And, uh, but people at ringside just bought ponchos and people in the crowd, you know, were covered by the stands. People at ringside were giving out ponchos or maybe, you know, so a chance for the, for the lads in Dublin one to be selling a few, uh, few extra bits of gear there for people to, to stay out of rain, yeah, but that's all, that's all you can do. You can't really mitigate it, I think, to have a stadium fight, you're looking at summer. Now, mm-hmm. we know it rains in summer in Ireland as well, so you know, that's that's the chance you have to take.
1: And if this is going to happen, when will there be a decision on it and when do you anticipate it it will be summer, is, is what you're reckoning?
5: I'd say it's going to, like, the negotiations last time took an awful long time, they a fraught. Hearn probably said some things he regrets, he. he you know, referred to negotiations with Crow Park uh, in a slightly derogatory way that I'm sure those at Crow Park wouldn't have been too pleased about. Now he's saying this is the sort of thing that has to happen. He's mentioned that he's the competitive animal in him is desperate now to provide this. But there's a lot of moving parts. So you're looking at like Crow Park, you know, they're not a charity. They're going to want to be paid what they feel the going rate is. Mm-hmm. Hearn wants to pay a certain amount that he pays in Wembley Stadium. Crow Park cost an awful lot more than that either he's going to have to stump up or he's going to have to go to the government which I believe will, will happen I'm not sure the government will support the event but he's going to have to go cap in hand to the government and see if they'll support like the uh, we do have a major sports event unit uh, in Ireland that you know looks to bid for international tournaments and, and major sporting contests and Taylor versus Cameron 3 or Taylor versus Serrano 2 would be an enormous event absolutely an enormous event it has to fit, you know. It has to fit in for things like tourism. What what benefit for the economy would it have? And if you could sell sixty or seventy thousand tickets to a boxing match in Crow Park, it would be obviously good for the economy. And um, you know, can they sell the tickets? I think I think they can If they if they, if they price them reasonably well, um, will it have a good? You know, will the government decide that it's something they want to get behind? Who knows? And as well as that, like pro boxing is a profitable business. Eddie Hearn's promotion is a very profitable company. The Irish taxpayers want, you know, do they want their money going to prop up a massive, you know, world boxing promotion company that that's in the game for profit as well? Matchroom and Brian Peters, Katie Taylor's manager, will make their case that Taylor deserves this. The state, you know, this is an important this is an important figure in the state, and uh, her bid to fight at Crow Park or Dream Venue, should be supported. So I think those those negotiations are going to take an awful long, like a, a while anyway. I wouldn't expect an announcement until the new year at least.
1: Right, well, it sounds like there's a lot to it. And just before we finish up, um, a word on Gary Cully and Emmett Brennan as well and, and the show that they put on.
5: Cully, uh yeah, last time he was knocked out by uh, Jose Felix from Mexico. Um, very, very shocking stoppage. Cully was being anointed as the next successor, the, the next headliner after Taylor. And instead, you know, the, the Mexican got in and, and, and really took him out. Um Cully has since changed teams. He's left Pete Taylor in Dublin, gone over to base himself in Liverpool with Joe McNally. But for this fight, he went back to the... Uh, he, he said he was offered different fights, you know, like little comebacks. He, when Bernard Dunne was knocked out by Keiko Martinez all those years ago, I think his comeback took place in County Mayo. It was a bit more low-key. But Cully said, no, I want my comeback to be on the same Katie Taylor versus Chantelle Cameron fight. I want to have the same dressing room. I want to wear the same clothes. I want to have the same... Singer bringing me into the ring, the whole thing. I want to really exercise the demon. Now, I suppose a rematch with the Mexican is a, is a big fight for him in the future as well. But he got the better of uh, Rhys Mold the other night, and uh, I'm sure getting the win is all that mattered. It was a qu- quite a close fight. Cully got the the, uh, the verdict on points. I think the star of the night really was though Paddy Donovan, trained by Andy Lee, who took out Danny Ball in the fourth round, just scintillating performance. Really showed himself to be a star in the making.
1: Yeah, he was. Uh, I was laughing at the, all the references to to his future because of his hair and his good-looking fella and all that sort of stuff. So it was, uh, there was a lot of um, there was a lot of uh, entertainment around him as well. But he does seem to be a character as well. So there'll be lots that will want to be on any under- undercard anyway, given the Irish performances um, on Saturday.
5: Yeah, and and like Thomas Carty the headway from Dublin as well. And like he had a he had a good knockout in the final round of his fight. Like it was a bit of a stinker, your man Dan Garber was very much came negative came to came to survive but Carty took him out in the final round he's in a great place as a heavyweight there's an awful lot of money swishing around that division now with the Saudis involved in boxing and, and you know they're always looking for good fighters from Dublin as well because Capital City can generate a, a big support and Carty's very good at self-promotion and then obviously the Tokyo Olympian Emma Brennan in only his second fight had a, had a great uh, battle with Jamie Morrissey from Limerick who, who gave it absolutely everything as well you know and um, Brennan won by stoppage in the final round of that one. But, you know, credit to both of them for taking on the fight and uh, and giving it all.
1: Okay. Uh, thanks so much for that, Kevin. It definitely was one of those uh, special, historic nights for Katie Taylor. Looking forward to the next one. And we'll talk to you soon. Cheers, guys. Thanks. We're going to take a very quick break. But do stay with us. We'll be talking to Key and Tracy about the weekend's rugby and the latest news coming out of Munster. Game on on 2FM. 2FM. Welcome back. We are turning our attention to rugby. Keen Tracy, rugby writer with the Irish Independent, is with us. And before we get into all of the weekend's action, there is lots of news um, coming out in Munster. Uh, John Klein has signed a new two year contract. But I guess the bigger news is that RG Snyman is going to leave at the end of the season, Keen.
0: Yeah, probably no surprise really, Marie. Um, I suppose for anyone who doesn't know, it's worth reminding people that the situation was complicated by the fact that Sean Klein is now an NIQ non Irish qualified player and Orgy Snyman sorry when he went to play for South Africa obviously when he switched his allegiances from Ireland, so with Orgy Snyman already there, it meant uh, Munster had two foreign locks and although it's not like a hard and fast rule, it's generally accepted by the RFU that you can't have two players in the same position. So, it meant that Munster were going to have to decide um, come the end of the season when both of their contracts were up which one of them they were going to keep um, and to be honest I don't think it would have been that tough of a decision uh, like pound for pound Orgie Snyman is one of the best locks in the world but his injury record is horrific I mean he's been so unlucky during his time at Munster but you look back and it. He's been here for four seasons, Marie. He's played ten games, um, and when you consider the amount of money that he would be on, like you gotta kind of look at the the kind of the cold hard facts of it. Um, and like just for, as a comparison, Munster played uh, twenty six competitive games last year, and Jean Klein started and featured in twenty four of them. Um, like he's Munster's player of the year. He did really well with South Africa at the World Cup so when you're picking between the two of them it, I'd say it was a fairly straightforward choice Orgy Snyman is not going to struggle to, to find mm-hmm. a club it'll be interesting to see if he goes back to South Africa or Japan maybe where there's a lot of money I'm sure French clubs will be sniffing around but Munster have actually done very well to keep Jean Klein because uh, Leon in the top 14 uh, by all accounts were offering him big big money to go over there so what Munster didn't want obviously was to lose both of them but Sean Klein, um is married to a girl from Galway they recently built a house in Limerick he is okay. properly like you know mm-hmm. put down roots in Ireland so I'd say it's a big relief for him to have gotten it over the line as well and it's it's smart business I think all around even though to lose a player of Orgy Snyman's cal- calibre is obviously really disappointing but when he's played 10 games in 4 seasons it's hard to argue was he mm, really probably, want a, the <laughs> yeah, yeah. probably want a bit better return than that. I'd have banked
3: on John Klein as well, and especially when you look at the age profile. they had to keep on of that monster team. I mean, it it is a young team that's coming forward.
0: Yeah absolutely and like both of them are really popular guys I mean Jean Klein or sorry Orgy Snyman, may only have played 10 games but like he's a really popular guy amongst the, the squad I mean I think there is a lot of sympathy out there I mean he didn't choose to rupture his ACL twice you know he's had a lot of things going on off the pitch as well but he's fully bought in even behind the scenes he's been a really good kind of role model for the younger players but I mean at the end of the day Ruby like professional sport is a rootless business and Munster has have made the right decision here and like Jean Klein has gone to new levels over the last couple of years. Like I mentioned there he was Munster's player of the year last season which I think was only off um, announced actually last week fully deserved like I said he played in 24 of 26 games he's now a World Cup winner like he's bringing back a huge amount of um, IP from France and what he did um, so yeah it's a smart decision Munster have you know a pretty good like young locks coming through you look at Edwin at Dogbo, Thomas O'Hearn who actually played in the back row um, at the weekend against Leinster and was excellent so to keep a guy like Jean Klein like you said Ruby to kind of be a mentor like as he has been for the last few years is really important I think for for Munster going forward and the weekend was typical Munster-Leinster wasn't it Leinster probably didn't scale the heights that they
3: can considering the team they named but at least Munster gave him a run for it
0: yeah, absolutely. I think a lot of um, Munster fans were probably worried when they saw the team sheets um, last week. Um, I mean, 14 of the 15 starting Leinster team were in France with Ireland at the World Cup. Jordan Armour being the one who hasn't, but he's obviously got plenty of international experience. I mean, you consider the quality of players that Munster were missing. Peter O'Mahony, Orgy Snoyman, who is, it's worth mentioning, is also injured again at the moment. And like according to reports in South Africa, could miss the most of this season as well with the injury that he picked up in the World. Cup final so I think when you take that all into account Ruby I think Munster would be okay look they're not going to be happy going back down the road with a defeat but there were a lot of um, positives I think to take from the game and when they'll have reviewed it in in Limerick this morning at the team meeting I think they'll be really frustrated because Leinster were there for the taking like you mentioned they they're not usually that sloppy and wasteful and when they are you really need to kind of put the hammer down and try as they might Munster weren't quite able to but they pushed him right until the end and you think back to the URC semi-final last season when Munster obviously beat Leinster at the Aviva but that was a heavily rotated Leinster team not to take away from Munster's achievement or anything but the fact that they went toe to toe with what was pretty much apart from James Lowe um, was pretty much Leinster's first choice team and came away from it you know with a losing bonus point but probably thinking that they could have won the game so I think the gap is, is closing between Munster and Leinster and that was further evidence of it which is a good thing I think for, for Irish rugby
1: Ciarán Frawley at 10 is that where he, he should be?
0: Um, it depends who you're talking to because uh, Leo Cullen likes the fact that he can play in several different positions, which you can understand um, why. But look, Kieran Frawley is 26, I think now. He's at a stage in his career where he really needs to, to find a position. Um, in New Zealand last year on the tour, he did really well. And I remember we were sitting down having a chat with him in the build-up to the second Maori game. And he said himself that he doesn't want to be known as a jack-of-all-trades. But like we're 18 months on and he's still kind of in that tricky position look injuries have not been kind to him we've just talked about RG Snyman like Frawley has missed a lot of games as well due to just ill-timed injuries but um the door kind of opened for him at the weekend ironically enough uh, Mm -hmm. due to an injury to Ross Byrne which doesn't sound too great so if Ross Byrne is going to miss a period of games now like including the game against Connacht um, this weekend and then Lara Scheller coming up next weekend for the start of the Champions Cup I think it's a massive opportunity for Kieran Frawley to be kind of handed that number 10 jersey look the reason he mightn't have played as many games at 10 for Leinster is because they have the two Byrne brothers they've Sam Prendergast coming through obviously Johnny Sexton was there um, up until his retirement but the door is kind of open now and it's telling that every time Kieran Frawley has been in an Ireland squad, which has only been a couple of times again due to injury, Andy Farrell has wanted him to play ten. Uh, he played ten, started ten in both of the Maori games last year when another Burn got injured, Harry Burn, and his tour was ended. So it's clear that Andy Farrell like sees Kieran Frawley as a ten. And I thought like the, his performance at the weekend, uh, while it wasn't perfect, was I thought really, really encouraging in terms of. You know, Leinster giving him the responsibility if Ross Burn is going to miss a period of of games over the next while. So, like we we went to the Aviva on Saturday expecting kind of a shootout between Ross Burn and and uh, right. Jack Crowley, yeah. But what we did get was a shootout between two really good out halves. It just wasn't the two that we were expecting. I thought Jack Crowley was excellent mm-hmm. as well.
1: Who makes that decision? Now is it purely a Leinster decision if they decide right, we're going to we're going to put. Put him in the 10 and leave him there and give him a shot at it, or
0: do the IRFU have some sort of say in it? Like, I'm sh- like Andy Farrell would have a really good relationship with all the, the coaches, mm. and I mean, he can definitely say, oh, I would like to see Kieran Frawley get a run at 10, but I mean, Leinster are going to do what suits Leinster you know what I mean? You, like, Andy Farrell, I don't think, is the type of guy who would be ringing up Leo Cullen and saying, like, you need to start this guy <laughs> at 10. It doesn't really work like that. So, while there would be kind of open lines of communication, and I think Leo Cullen is maybe coming around to it. I was asking him, I put it to him um, after after the game on Saturday that 18 months ago Kieran Frawley said he doesn't want mm. to be a jack-of-all-trades yet he still basically is so um, the the situation could be become a little bit easier and clearer if Ross Byrne unfortunately is going to miss a period of action but then again you have someone like Harry Byrne who is clearly rated as well but I think there's a big opportunity for Kieran Frawley I'd, I'd love to see him start again next weekend um, this weekend against Connacht leading into that Lara Shell game and it's very different to you know, by telling a guy that you're our man for the full week, as opposed to coming off the bench and, okay, he got longer than he would have expected. But, like, Lencer would have probably picked their team this morning for Connacht this weekend. And it'd be brilliant if, like, Leo Cullen said to Kieran Foley, okay, you're our man for the week. Like, you run the show, you know, like, because that, that stuff counts for a huge amount as well. And he hasn't had a lot of opportunities to do that from 10, so it could be a massive opportunity. It's exciting as well. Like, he's a really good player. Connacht, of course, are probably home from South Africa but Mm. did a tough
3: match against the Bulls at altitude, in the heat the turnaround for Leinster next weekend is going to be hard for them
0: yeah, it was. They got back to today. I think Ruby um, safe and sound. Um, yeah, look, it, it was. You don't want to say like a, a professional game in any sport is a free shot, but the fact that they beat the Sharks uh, the previous week in South Africa took the pressure off to a certain extent. Like they heavily rotated their team uh, for that Bulls game last weekend. Definitely with one eye on Leinster uh, coming this weekend, which is going to be a sold out sports ground, which is unbelievable to. It's unbelievable to see on the back of, OK, it's not going to be the almost fifty thousand that were at the Aviva at the weekend, but the attendances in rugby, you know, you, you talk about a post-World Cup potentially hangover, but the people are voting, you know, like they're showing that there really isn't. So
1: Which that, isn't in line with o- other countries.
0: Yeah, like it's been it's been fantastic to see. Now, the rugby has been really good as well. Like the match on, on Saturday between Munster and Leinster, I thought was seriously enjoyable. Like the 50,000 people that went got, got their money's worth, but that's going to be a huge occasion in Galway this week. End. Um like Leinster will rotate, you'd imagine, with one eye on Lara Shell, whereas they are gonna rotate the other way. Mack Hansen is. my understanding is is going to be back which is a massive boost so the 8,000 people that are going will probably get their money's worth because they're going to see Mac Hansen play for the first time since he got injured um, at the World Cup so you'd imagine it's going to be a very strong Connacht team and look, Leinster no matter what team the name is going to be strong but I don't think it's going to be the team that we saw last weekend because Leo Cullen is going to want to keep a few of them in Cottonwood for the trip to La Rochelle. so it could be an opportunity there for Connacht to bounce back.
1: Well Nien took, Arbor took his first session today mm. so will we see his impact straight away
0: maybe I think it will take a while but like it's it's good to see he's finally here it's been like Leinster weren't exactly telling us when he was arriving even afterwards Leo Cullen on Saturday Leo Cullen was asked again like when is Jack Arb arriving and all it was was soon 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 so I don't really know what was going on but um, yeah what a boost to, to have him back um, or to have him in in the building you can just sense that, I think the, the excitement from the players like it's a fresh voice look he's going to come in there I think can shake things up a little bit you know he's going to have a very different perspective on things he's going to bring in this sort of South African I'd say ruthless mindset which Leinster probably well sorry they have lacked over the last two years I mean going two seasons for a team like this uh, without a trophy is a massive massive failure Um, and you think back to like South Africa winning back-to-back World Cups it's their ability to win on the big day so like the Leinster players are are already talking about this and I don't think he's going to be too afraid to come in and you know say well I'm not really sure about Mm -hmm. this and that could be exactly what Leinster need you know so um, truth Exactly, yeah. So, like, it's, it's huge to have him in, but I think it will be a while before we see, you know, Lencer's defensive system totally change because that is what Neon Arbour is going to come in. He's, he's coming in as the senior coach, but he's going to be running the defence um, and he'd probably be looking after a lot of the kicking game as well. And you think to South Africa, how important. Like, they won the World Cup again on the back of an unbelievable defence. So, it's hugely exciting for Lencer. It could prove to be the missing piece of the jigsaw. Mm, big exciting times ahead for Leinster what about
3: Ulster flying start um, last weekend but ultimately they fell up really short against Glasgow Warriors I mean 14-0 up and then didn't get many scores after that
0: yeah really disappointing like Ulster a bit of a Jekyll and Hyde team which has probably been their story for the last couple of seasons Um, it's hard to get a get a handle on where Ulster are at we'll probably know in the next couple of weeks when, when they go into Europe as well but I mean They've they've got a few exciting young players coming through, the likes of Tom Stewart, Dave McCann, like really promising players, but I don't know, like we just mentioned Jack Nienarber there, kind of, you know, he's probably gonna come in and shake things up at Leinster. Like I felt like the Ulster setup has maybe gotten a bit stale over the last few years. I think this is a big season for Dan McFarland in terms of showing that, that Ulster are close to winning a trophy. We saw Munster ending their trophy drought last season, but I don't know, I, I, I kind of get the sense that maybe Ulster could do with someone else going in, maybe with Dan McFarland and just a few home truths to try and shake things up because. He can't just afford to be, you know, beating Munster one week and then getting hammers like the next week, especially not when you've got such an exciting crop of players coming through. It is worth mentioning, Ruby, that they weren't helped by the fact that Jake Flannery throughout half went down in the warm up and then Billy Burns got injured. So Nathan Doak had to play at out, out, out half and he's normally obviously a scrum half. So they were a little bit short and that did impact them, but they've got to be a hell of a lot better, I think.
3: I well, thought the very same. Keen Tracy, thanks for the update. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be back though with Premier League Soccer.
1: Game on
0: on 2FM.
1: Welcome back. Paul Carey is still with us in studio, and Stephen Kelly joins us on the line now to talk Premier League. And I guess we're going to have to start with uh, Manchester United, Paul, and yeah. that Garnacho goal because it was amazing.
4: That oh, was absolutely ridiculous, wasn't it? I mean, the pass initially from Lindelof is such a well struck ball. The flight of it is absolutely perfect out to Rashford and then the the little slip ball into Dallow. I actually think it's a it's miss hit cross. I think the majority <laughs> of bicycles are from a miss hit cross because somebody has to then yeah, uh, re- maneuver their yeah, body yeah, yeah. in and react. But the technique is just absolutely incredible. Yeah. I mean, first of all, the athleticism to get to that position and then the connection with the ball was absolutely superb. And you could almost see the shock on his face. Yeah. Yeah, I, you know, when,
1: I think Harry, Harry, um, Harry Maguire is in the background. You can see some of the pictures of the players like, and they're just their mind is
4: blown. That was, it. it was unbelievable. And that's what Man you have been, Marie, for now a couple of weeks. Is Maybe the performances haven't been brilliant, but there's just been moments and individual mm. moments that have potentially got them over the line. But there was a period in that game where you fancied Everton to get one back. I mean, there was 20, 25 minutes when they were absolutely knocking on the door and they pinned Manchester United back into their own third. And if they were a little more clinical particularly Calvert-Loon is the header I go back to he's so good in the air you would have expected him to take that and it could have been a different game but to be fair to Man they they saw it out um, the penalty changed the game and then they were Pretty professional from there. The the Martial goal was very well taken. The ball in from Fernandez really good and a good finish from Martial. So it's it's not perfect for Ten Hag. It hasn't been for a long period of time, but it's another three points and a lot of people say when you're not playing well and you're getting three points, yeah. that's a good sign. It doesn't seem to be something that's sticking with Ten Hag.
1: A lot to be said for it. Stephen Kelly, were you out in the garden practicing your bicycle kicks last night? Uh,
2: <laughs> breaking my back. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm getting too old for that. Oh no, it's just it's one of those, isn't it? You, you just look at all the bicycle kicks on it. That could be one of the best ones I've seen. Mm. And, and and he's right, uh, Paul. It's a bad cross It's gone behind him, so he has to readjust himself and he's running back towards it back towards goal. And just the way he gets up, how high he is when he hits it, it's like perfect timing. Just ridiculous. Like it's one one in the million. It just don't happen that often to connect that well with it and for the fly far side into the top corner and um, it's just one of those moments that you just, you're just delighted to witness aren't you it's great to happen and every kid in the country is going to be outside boys bicycle kick so it's, it's it's nice to see apart from the Liverpool fans Marie sorry <laughs> Are you saying Ganacho's <laughs> yesterday or Gareth Bales in the Champions League
4: final? Final yeah.
1: Needs more Yeah
4: true I'm with you Yeah,
3: yeah. We come on here every weekend all lads right Paul and VAR gets absolutely Kicked into the ground and kicked all over the place, and it's wrong. Yada yada yada. Like VAR had a huge influence on the games this weekend, and they were all for the right reason.
4: Yeah, they were, and it's probably important <clears throat> that we speak about it when it does get it right, particularly you know, the Martial one where he's been done for a dive and, and being yellow card. And then you see it back on, on the replay, and you, you see how blatant a foul it was, and you think, okay, that is the position why we have VAR. It's one of them, really, where it swings and roundabouts I think there's going to be some weeks where teams are going to feel really hard done by and then other weeks where it probably balances itself out it's um, just though the pal- responsibility is on the managers though isn't it just to accept it like I
1: watching the Spurs Villa game like it was this end to end game but the momentum just kept being interrupted because of the VAR Like, and I know look at that's it that's
3: not the VAR Marie that's because the wheels have fallen off the Tottenham bike
2: Ruby 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 just trying to, to in, go with me into it Stephen now it's now, I, I think the wheels of what's fallen off is the, the, the stretcher bed has been <laughs> you know, way too much. Yeah, it's just ridiculous. Um, and I know we have Eric Dyer there and realistically the man you think, put in putting two fullbacks. Listen, I was a fullback and I'd happily play centre-back and I like playing there but not all fullbacks enjoy that role and not all fullbacks are cut out for that role. Um, Davies does it well, but in a three not on a two. Um, Emerson Royal in a three maybe, definitely not on a two. So, you know, you're leaving yourself exposed. They have pace, but I just don't think they pick up the runners. They don't they knock over the shoulders, and the two attack-minded fullbacks. So it was it was it was going to be tough. But yeah, Tottenham are just in a moment where they just need to steady the ship slightly. But they're still playing attractive side of the football. <laughs> still enjoyable. It's entertaining,
1: to watch. That's for sure. Steve, so, we talking, yeah, heartbreaking. I was talking yesterday actually about, about this um, about the fullbacks and the role of the fullbacks. You must be looking at them now, going like, what game are they playing compared to the game that you played?
2: They're not playing. They're they're, they're playing. It's. Honestly, it, they're playing like midfielders, they're <laughs> playing a the tackle, like the, 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 the Tottenham full-backs are, end up in the number 10 position yeah. a lot of time. time. Like it's actually, I, I, I analyze it, I'm looking at this is crazy, I and mean, it's funny, because I remember Glenn Hoddle was my manager at Tottenham. Glenn Hoddle used to have this philosophy where he said, every player should be able to play every role on the team. And we, all I I just like, yeah, right, these big, <laughs> tall centre-backs, thinking they're just heading, kick it, no chance. And like Gary Doherty and all. And then, it was just, it was a philosophy that he had in his mind. And it's what managers are actually doing now, Players are basically able to play every role because technically they're good enough, and then they're just getting the confidence to be able to get in those pockets and turn. And it's it, it's really entertaining. It's great to watch. It's heartbreaking at times for Tottenham, but it's it's enjoyable.
3: It is. And then you look at the keepers, the, Luton, uh, the Sheffield United keeper. He thought he was a fullback as well.
1: <laughs> but yeah, yeah. <laughs> Allison. like Alisson was having such a bad day, and like Trent Alexander-Arnold is nowhere to be seen. So mm. like you just get so. Expose, put Aaron all the time. Ramsdale
4: on that column <laughs> yeah, as well. Yeah. Bloody hell,
1: yeah. It's a different nope. game
4: now. It, it is. We probably shouldn't shy away from Aston Villa and Unai Emory. Mm. The job that yeah. he's oh, done no. I know. I know a lot of, of the results is probably leaning on Tottenham and missing bodies, but the job that he has done from where he took over from Gerard and, and the continuation of that, like they're now sitting in the top four. You have to remember they're also balancing European football, so they have to juggle it about. and the, the, I guess the trajectory that he's brought that squad on the players that he's brought in deserve, he deserves a massive crowd I think his his kind of job has gone under the radar a bit there
1: Yeah I, g- I agree because it's the likes of um, Ange Postacoglu who's getting all the headlines because of what he's doing and even yesterday like after the game there was more of a focus on Ange than there was on Emery and like that was kind of getting the, I suppose it was the the style of play that Tottenham had and the lack of defenders but yeah I'd agree with you on that
2: yeah, I like tipping. On, I think what, for, for Emery what it is it, there's a bit of a stigma with him because of his personality people have really walked him straight away where Emery because he had a time at Arsenal where people kind of I don't know what it was whereas now they don't want to give him the credit but he is a sensational manager look at what he's done teams <laughs> he's managed in Europe and stuff like he's a phenomenal manager and on he's done at villa is, is, is miraculous
3: it most certainly is and why we're on miraculous what kind of a miraculous miracle are Chelsea going to want Stephen <laughs>
2: are you
3: gonna play him a clip, or is it you? No, no, we won't play it this week. We'll play it again. We'll play it again next week, and go we get hammered again. They're
2: still, ha- they still having an effect on the top 4 though <laughs> Yeah, yeah they're
3: putting other teams into the top four.
2: <laughs> um, now, to be fair, you look at them and you think starting scores, they have a couple of chances where they go, and then they just capitulate um, Thiago with that goal, don't know what he's doing, um, gifting them defensively. When the, the pass gets played through the lines and they just step out and you're going, why are you, why are you not picking up Isaac in that position? How can two defenders get drawn towards It's like watching kids that just get drawn towards the ball and the pass gets played past and they're like, oh, there's a, there's a striker in there. <laughs> he's going to put down the back of there. Yeah, it was um, yeah, some really poor defending for them, which is which is a downfall. But I'm telling you, they're still going to be a team to, to watch towards the end.
1: Paul, Maurizio Pochettino said his team are soft. Is that the worst insult that a manager can give his team?
4: Yeah, I think it is. And you know what? He's protected the players a lot this season. It was mm. the first time that he's come out and had a proper call mm. off them. And I think soft is, is the right word here. There's a real softness to the underbelly of the squad. Maybe it was the fact that Saiceta was was missing from the middle of the park. But t- on too many occasions when the going gets tough they seem to, to roll over and, and they are conceding a lot of goals that's four against Newcastle and four against Man City as well and that has to be a concern because they're not exactly the most efficient side when they go forward and it doesn't also help when Reese James your captain mm. picks up two ridiculous yellow cards and gets sent yeah. off I mean there has to be a bit of a question mark about why he's being given the armband when, when you see him do things like that but yeah there's a lot of question marks over a number of those players a lot of them are quite young and maybe you can give them time but others Cucurella's won um, you know Fernandez particularly when the game gets tough you see him going out of a body of shield a lot mm. of learning to do Sanchez for me the keeper a lot of question marks there so soft is is probably the correct word but they they got to get things right they've got two difficult victories coming up they play Brighton and then they play Manchester United and who knows what sort of performance we'll get from them
2: Paul do you think do you think that? I'm oh, sorry go jumping in, but do you think, you know, the way they've given out these seven year contracts, that that's a factor in the fact that if you run seven years, you know, like well, a mess up for the next four and I still have three years left. 100%. Yeah, you, know, you know what it I mean? To, it has like, to be in the cycle. There's no period. accountability. Like, yeah. there's no accountability. Like, you know, you're not fearing for. Yeah, you're, you're not fearing that. Uh, like, well, listen, the players have so much money they shouldn't fear, regardless of on two or three years. But if you're on a seven-year contract, there's no real accountability to you that you could just get dropped and no one be interested in you. It's just like, well, I could sit here for the next seven years and I'll be fine. And I think what doesn't help that situation is
4: you don't really have those strong characters in the dress rooms to set the yeah. standards. There's no John Terry, Frank mm. Lampard. Those days are gone. Mm. I agree. I think you know players will look at it and say, managers will come and go, I've got my seven years, I'll still be here. Mm.
3: But is Rhys James' is two yellow cards worse than dunks or is dunk worse than Reese James?
2: <sighs> I-, I love dunk's card. Honestly, I love dunk getting to that. You know why? Because it's going to start... How- I think refs should do that all the time. I think if yeah, you go so over and like if you like, why, why not like I would have been sent off a few times but I would have learned my lesson like I wouldn't have been sent off for tackling but if you're getting a ref's face and you think you can get away over it you continue to do it and the example is saying for kids and stuff and all is horrendous so I would send them off all the time for this absolutely I think it's an amazing thing to get into the game because they'll stop they'll stop bitching in the morning sorry <laughs> sorry I, I
3: meant was it worse in how stupid he was to get sent off more so than I think the ref was dead right but if you're a, a Forest player are you angrier with Dunk? Or are you if you're a Chelsea player, are you angry with Rhys James?
4: Well well to that point ah. I think you'll see a lot of players, you know, stopping the hole, kicking the ball away because there was Sterling got mm. done, Rhys James got done. Oh, listen, I think I think Reese James is, as Chelsea captain, you know, can't can't be thrown in the towel like that, particularly when the side has gone three one down and you miss him for enough games of the season through injury. Now he's gonna have to sit another one out through suspension. That one I guess maybe it's the fact that I'm a Chelsea fan, but it hurts.
3: It yeah, does hurt. And then we go back to the game that mattered most. City Liverpool.
1: I was wondering what you're gonna say there now.
3: Uh well I have kind of been tipping Liverpool all along, Marie. I know you've been on holidays there for god knows how long, <laughs> but like we, we have been to the to the defense of Liverpool here. Um and I think they robbed the point. What do you think, Stephen? Yeah, I think they
2: robbed the point. Um City probably deserved overall, but it's what a good point that is for Liverpool to like City, e. just to stifle the momentum, just to show that they can go toe to toe with them, just to show that they can actually hurt them. And um, they were lucky, I think City e. probably dominate proceedings and the bare chances. uh Alisson, you know, a couple of saves. Edison, one or two good saves. But I think City, that's just a little bit of a show that we can come to your house and stop you, which is teams don't do that. You expect City e. to win at home no matter who they play against. So that was an absolutely huge point for Liverpool.
1: that like it? Okay, guys, uh, we're going to have to leave it there for now, but we will be back tomorrow. Alan Coley and Mark Langdon will be continuing our football chat and, of course, be building up to the Champions League action as well. And Ruby will be looking back on all of the weekends racing. Stephen and Paul, thank you so much for joining us. Betty De Silva up next.
2: RTE 2FM.